1: So this is going to be an interesting show, yeah. to say the least. Ladies and gentlemen, buckle up. If you're sitting in a chair that has any kind of an apparatus in it. Uh,
2: you're going to need a harness for this you're one. You're going to need a
1: harness for this one. We've got the infamous, more than infamous, mm-hmm. more than famous, Shane Terrell mm-hmm. uh, is going to be on the podcast show today. And Shane, I think he's dialed in here, it looks like. Shane, are you with us? Yes, sir. Are you for us or Amazing against us? introduction. <laughs> what did you say you wanted to be called, Your Eminence, or Your Grace? I prefer Your Grace, but that's on you. You guys kids. All right, how about we just call you Grace? <laughs> <It'd> be fun. <fine. laughs> whatever, whatever pays the bills, right? <laughs> right. We got a crazy show today. We, uh, but there'll be some insight. We're going to talk <laughs> a little bit about. Ranches, of all things, uh, hunting ranches, cattle ranches, uh, trophy ranches. Shane has actually been traveling the countryside listing ranches lately. He's been in multiple states, and I thought this would be a great topic. UC Ranch Properties is taking off for United Country, which is our one of our predominant sponsors with the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were having earlier conversations about that, and I said, you know, I know a guy that's listing a lot of ranches right now. Let's get him on the show.
2: And he just uh, happens to be your brother at the happens, same time.
1: <laughs> happens to be my brother. So we'll talk about oil and gas. I know that's just booming right now, if you can hear the <laughs> chuckles in the background. And uh, maybe we'll throw in a little bit of countryisms from uh, from
2: oh, I, small I have a feeling there will be plenty of those <laughs> going along
1: all right, Shane, fill us in real quick. Uh, tell us a little bit about just you. I already know about you. Trina knows about you, but the listeners don't. So where are you at? Well, I
3: appreciate the I am actually in northwest Oklahoma today, about eight miles off the Barber County, Kansas line in Northern Woods County. Over the last 90 days, uh, we've been to Illinois, Kentucky, Florida, Montana, Missouri, Arkansas, and Kansas. Listed quite a few ranches, uh, mostly the higher, higher end ranches in the, you know, anywhere from $2 million to $10 million range, larger showcase type properties. And we've been doing a lot of traveling.
2: Now, Shane, are you licensed in all of those states or are you co-oping in a lot of those areas? It's a great
3: question. I'm licensed in half a dozen states personally. Um, the states that I'm not licensed in, I connect with other brokers. Uh, most of those are relationships within the United Country franchise system. In some cases, I am licensed in state, and I will still co-broke. A lot of times, the benefit to our seller, to our clients, to expand that market through the use of two companies, um, it still makes sense, regardless of whether I have a license or not. In in a lot of those listings, we will co-broke, even though I'm licensed in the state, the property's in.
1: So let's talk a little bit about the ranches that you're getting calls on, that you're listing with um, other brokerages, or you're listing yourself. What's the primary property type? What's the primary ranch that you're seeing? Is there and and what I want to get into is there seasonality around that? Like right now, a lot of hunting's going on. Are there predominantly hunting ranches? Uh, are they predominantly cattle ranches? A mixed bag. But what what are you after? What are you chasing right now, or see coming to your door that you can get listed?
3: Most of them are are diversified. They'll have multiple uses. Um, a few of ours are specific. One in particular we have is probably one of the most amazing recreational hunting properties that i've ever been on it's in southern illinois it's 900 acres the property has been strategically managed for deer genetics for a dozen years Um, it's coming out of an estate is the reason that it's selling it has a large wetlands development area on it Um, it's probably a top one or two waterfowl type hunting property and the quality of the whitetail antler genetics are easily 180 to 200 inch deer quality place, which is not a common place. It doesn't offer much in the way of cattle grazing or, or crop production from a revenue standpoint. And that one is specifically a recreational hunting property. So it's a perfect time of year for that on a timing basis. Hunting season is just starting across most of the United States, specifically in the Midwest. And you know, it's, it's a property that targets that market right now, probably better from the first of October through um, the end of December for uh, timing in the market to get that thing sold and the exposure, because our buyer base for that is, is specifically a recreational hunter. Mm-hmm. Our other ranches are going to have aspects for grain production, cattle grazing, and hunting aspects. Uh, we have a 6,300-acre ranch. In Barber County, Kansas, on the Medicine Lodge River. And it diversifies all the way from river bottom, class one cultivation, farm ground, rolling grassland, short grass, mid level grasses. And then it breaks into some rock outcrops and canyon formations. So that ranch just got a little bit of everything for everybody. It's got every terrain imaginable in the state, in the western half of Kansas. And it is a working cattle ranch. So there's a revenue stream with that.
1: So if I'm hearing you correct right now during the hunting and recreational season, uh, timing is everything, right? It's it's the right time of the year if you have a recreational farm or a ranch to get that out there in the marketplace. And we've talked about this on the show in years past where uh, everything that's happening in the industry, the hunting, you know, whitetail deer, maybe fall turkey hunting, all of that stuff's being promoted on television. It's being talked about in publications and articles walmart's pushing all the camouflage stuff out to the end of the aisles and and getting it in front of the consumer so right now is the time to market that is that correct
3: I believe it is I mean I agree with that scenario on the timing in the market there's a specific timing that these properties sell better based on when the buyers are aggressively wanting to purchase them and with hunting season being on people are hunting they're thinking about hunting um, it's a perfect time to be marketing these properties where i think they will sell better they will get more exposure there will be more traffic on these websites looking at these properties now than there is outside of hunting season
1: Um, i agree and i think the same thing happens in the cattle industry there's different times during the market and cattle production calves are hitting the ground where there's it's all cyclical And there's times where cattle ranches, you know, people are are looking at new crops, revenue coming in, and they look at expansion or divestiture at different times throughout the year.
3: I think that's true of most property types based on the buyer's needs and the timing of when the buyer needs to purchase based on other things they're doing. In the farm and ranch industry, you will see a lot of properties market based on maturity of crop dates so that uh, possession can be given. The quicker, that, the quicker you can give possession to the buyer, the more value you see in these farms. I know in, in some cases, you and I both sold farms that had extended leases on them. And if you're selling a farm to, to a buyer that specifically wants to farm and operate that farm themselves, if they have to wait a year or two to get possession of that land, to graze it or to farm it, it adversely affects value to that specific buyer.
1: I couldn't agree more with that. Um, and it is the same way even in the housing industry. If okay. you look at when kids go to school yep. and when they're out of school in the summer, how the housing markets pick up. So it's needless to say, real estate in general is um, it's there's some seasonality to that business.
0: The Sale Ring online at
1: www.thesalering.com. Here's the other thing I wanted to talk about for the listeners so Shane and I own a company jointly. If you can imagine, uh, we can't spend extraordinary amounts of time in the same room <laughs> because we revert back to the days of being, you know, seven and eight. And <laughs> and uh, well, there's some war stories around that. However, oil and gas. Mm-hmm. We have a company called Mineral Marketing. Well, Shane, let's talk a little bit about mineral marketing and how maybe the the, the presence of that industry when related to a sales pitch or the real estate industry, introducing that to your real estate brokerage business can be beneficial, even in declining markets right now. Because the industry is pretty tough in the oil and gas sector right this minute. But what are the advantages of it for you?
3: Well, you know, you opened the door for me to talk about narrowmarket.com, <laughs> And you know what that leads to? I can work that into any conversation. I love to visit about that company, and I love to visit about the value associated with the subsurface of these farms. You know, most of the time, the average person out here that's dealing with farm and ranch land doesn't think too much about what's going on beneath the surface. So for a little insight for your listeners into into how that came about, Sean and I grew up in uh, a very well oil and gas developed region, where there was uh, historical production even before we were born. So there was always leasing and drilling and oil field service companies all around us most of our life. As we got into the real estate and auction business, probably in the 2007, 8, 9 range, we got to deal with a lot of our clients' minerals along with their service. We were helping them with their leases. Um, in some cases, we were selling their minerals and they were taking that money and buying more farmland. In a distressed economy, we were helping some of these farmers sell their minerals so they could pay off their debt, capitalize their farms so they could continue growing crops and raising cattle. In 2010, we got so extremely busy with the oil and gas negotiations that we couldn't continue to do that in conjunction with our real estate model because we were doing it for free. We were doing all of this work As an added benefit to our farm and ranch clients that we were doing their real estate work for, we just weren't charging for the mineral negotiations. So we decided we had to either quit doing it or we had to launch its own model and brand a company that specifically did that. And we created MineralMarketing.com. I like to do this little test with people. I'm always I'm always a little concerned about whether or not this is going to work, but it's worked for ten years, and I hope it works today. If you're listening, (laughs) if you will go to Google and you will type in oil and gas minerals for sale, you should find that mineralmarketing.com is the number one ranked website on the first page of Google. And that has been true since 2010 when we launched the company. Hmm.
1: If it's not, do they get their money back? I know. <clears throat> they get every What's...
3: everything back and they can call Sean and he will <laughs> give you back your money.
2: <laughs> I like that negotiation there. Um, just, Side note here. Um, you guys probably maybe some of the listeners are a little familiar just hearing some of our commercial breaks, but mineral marketing is also a show sponsor. So we appreciate you guys being a show sponsor.
1: Show sponsor. Mm, thank you for that. All right, quick,
2: take a break so we can hear it. No.
1: Yeah, we kidding. need we <laughs> need a check too. We gotta we gotta run another check in I, here. I guess. So uh that's really why we had you on the show today, Shane. Who, is Who uh, do you have doing you your, have your SEO to make that hand, happen?
2: But.
3: Uh, I appreciate that. I
1: appreciate it's that. Like, hey guys, I you know
3: one go. of the <laughs> one of the biggest benefits for your average land broker out there, anybody within the United Country system or any, any other farm and ranch real estate broker for that battle. We have uh we have a strategic partnership with United Country, but we also have a database within mineral marketing. So our our qualified buyers within our system are also some of the buyers and sellers of the largest ranches and recreational properties across the United States. There's a lot more value from a partnership with mineral marketing for a farm and ranch broker than just the mineral aspects. You know, we market those things separately from the surface a lot of times, but there's a lot of cases where, say you want to sell your ranch, and I tell you that in addition to all the wonderful resources and property exposure we can create for land, we also have this mineral site called mineralmarketing.com and notoriously a landowner will say something like, well, I don't know the minerals or my minerals aren't worth anything. We don't intend to sell the minerals. There's still value in the relationship, even if the mineral aspects aren't involved because the client base for mineralmarketing.com that's been developed over the last 10 years is about as credible a buyer base as there exists in the land business, and those markets cross over very
1: well. I've used it. You, you have used it. Other people that um, work inside of mineral marketing and or are tethered to the real estate industry and are affiliated with uh, an oil and gas marketing company would use those same techniques because it gives you additional exposure for the real estate to... Another class, another audience out there. And there's an affinity by a lot of the oil and gas industry for hunting and recreational properties or income-producing land properties. They have a passion or an affinity relationship to owning those kind of properties in addition to the oil and gas that uh, where their, their income or primary income is normally derived from. And speaking of that with uh, mineral marketing... They're one of our show sponsors, as Trina pointed out. We're going to slip away. We're going to hear from our sponsors. We'll take a short break. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more from the infamous Shane Terrell.
4: Buying and selling minerals is a breeze when you have the right energy professionals on your team. Mineralmarketing.com is a leading resource for America's mineral owners. Whether you're wanting to lease or sell your mineral rights, mineral marketing has you covered. Mineralmarketing.com, the oil and gas marketplace.
5: ever dream of owning a country estate historic home or lakefront property log on to unitedcountry.com would you like to retire to a home built on breathtaking acreage in the mountains unitedcountry.com ever dream of your own private hunting preserve unitedcountry.com over 30,000 farm recreational and lifestyle properties are just a click away helping people find their american dream for over 90 years we will help you find yours log on now to unitedcountry.com
1: and find your freedom so yes i do know that i am over enunciating things like (laughs) infamous So on break, Trina said, do you know that that's not the right word? It's infamous. I didn't say over- it like that. I asked if yeah, you, you were down speaking
2: Oklahoma speak or if that's if you were doing it on purpose is what I asked.
1: Well, Oklahoma speaks English like the rest well, of the okay. United States or the majority of it. So, okay. yeah, it's not it doesn't have its own language.
2: Yeah, sometimes you do, Sean. i kind not kidding. of do. <laughs> yeah. See, Shane agrees.
1: <laughs> we, Oklahoma, we, we kind of do. Oklahoma used to have its own language and the frontiersmen and settlers kind of changed a lot of that.
2: (laughs) Yes, they did. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So Shane and I grew up. This is interesting. Our grandfolks, our, our parents were our grandfolks that raised us. And our dad was a custom harvester. If you don't know what a custom harvester is, that means that they cut crops for farmers that didn't want to invest in the harvesting equipment at that time. In the early days. And and even yet today, it was a major expense to use it one time of the year and then put it in the shed and and not use it for the balance of the years. So they would hire that custom work done. Combines, trucks, trailers, all of that stuff's very expensive. And our dad did that for over 40 years. That was the family business.
3: And we did that. We did that the first 18 years of our lives. We were on wheat harvest every summer from the first week in May until the first, second week in September. You remember, we was two weeks late for school every year our entire lives because we were on wheat harvest.
2: But no. your teacher was also on wheat harvest, so they were understanding?
3: No. <laughs> I, I no, the teachers... Well. no. No to the first question and yes to the second. They were not all wheat harvest, but they were understanding. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: We were exceptionally intelligent, as <laughs> yes. you can see. So yeah. it, was, it did not take much for us to catch up.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay. I think collectively we were extremely intelligent. I'm just not sure how much you picked up your side of that equation.
1: Well, we both had our contributions. We did. It depends on which one of us you ask. The the kind out of all of the machinery, here's the one thing I never could figure out about our dad and and the family is we had this passion for Alice Chalmers and more so a uh, gleaner was the combines that we ran. So if you're from the ag industry and you know anything about combines, there are other types of combines out there other than gleaners that have a paint or some type of a reflective paint on them, like a green or a red mm-hmm. We elected to have ones that were they were the color of aluminum, which would basically they were what I would envision when we were working on them in 100 degree weather in a field. It was an early day microwave.
2: Uh, I was going to say like a mirror, basically.
1: Yes. Hmm. Son, something's broke inside of the combine. Climb in there with these wrenches and fix it. (laughs) It's only 400 degrees inside of it. So those were early experiences. Mm -hmm.
3: If we would start, where would we start? Right on the Texas border, southern Oklahoma, about the 10th of May. And we would move to northern Oklahoma in June, up through Kansas, Nebraska in July. Uh, northern Nebraska, early August, and most of August finished out in the Dakotas. We saw a lot of country.
1: Saw so a lot of country. We had a vacation during fish, that. We got to out people. of the entire summer. We spent about three days in the Black Hills. <laughs> so that was always I wonderful.
3: Saw, we have seen Mount Rushmore multiple times.
2: More than a few? Okay. That I've is, never it, seen Mount it was Rushmore. So
1: you that was haven't? Vaca-
2: no, I've never it, been. Well, I've never been to South Dakota.
1: Now I feel kind of bad about making that statement. I, I feel like I'm bragging. Well, you know,
2: I've seen photos. I'm pretty sure they're pretty true to form. And I can imagine that it's just bigger than the photo.
1: That's accurate.
2: Yeah. yeah they
1: are bigger than the picture of them. Yes.
2: Okay, okay good.
1: <laughs> that would be the yeah. height of disappointment when you get all the way out there and they're actually the photo is actual size. size.
2: <laughs> like, just dang. taped onto a rock out there.
1: <laughs> Got to tell you, I'm a little disappointed.
3: <laughs> oh. We purchased our first Gleaner Combine when uh, I was 15 and you were 16 years old. We bought a, a 1976 Gleaner L Combine with a 22-foot header.
2: You and Sean bought this?
3: Yes, we did, we made the harvest run. We had a 1974 Chevy C60 single-axle wheat truck and a Jance Combine trailer. And we went from the Texas border to the Canadian border.
1: Wow. Cutting wheat.
2: Sounds like a fun summer. It was a great summer.
3: (laughs)
1: It actually was okay. There's a lot of stories that uh, could make this podcast show. There's some (laughs) stories that could not make this podcast show.
3: We did that, uh, literally did that the first 18 to 20 years of our life. I quit going to wheat harvest when I started college. I think Sean went another two years after that. Our grandfather ended up with some health issues, and eventually we we stopped doing the harvest run. After that, we got into the real estate and auction business.
1: It's interesting whenever you're, you know, seven, eight years old, growing up through 10, 12, 15. And every year, the guys that worked for our parents on harvest, they were considerably older than us. They were high school You know, 17, 18 years old and above, a lot of 20, 22, 24-year-old guys that were working on the harvest run. So you would, uh, as a young guy, as a kid growing up, you would learn a lot from them.
2: Oh, yeah, I'm sure you'd learn Um, all kinds of things from them.
1: And they're a pretty diverse group that is willing to go on wheat harvest, you know. What I like to consider, it's a well-constructed or well-organized kind of a carnival, if you will. (laughs)
2: Got a bunch uh, of carnies out there. On you got the a bunch harvest. of carnies
1: out there that uh, they just go and we, we set up the the trailers and the combines and put on our, our show, you know, make a little money. Then we move on <laughs> to the next town. I, w-
3: I was telling somebody about our childhood and how we grew up making that harvest run. And the gentleman I was telling the story to, when I got down, he says, so you were a gypsy. <laughs> and I said, no, I'm not a gypsy. And he goes, well, you kind of were. And I thought about it and, I think he's right. Yeah. Uh, we traveled.
2: Living out of a truck. We moved for... every, every, t-
3: yeah. every two to three weeks. We packed up all of our equipment and we moved three or 400 miles down the road. We unloaded. We put it back together. We'd work for two or three weeks and we'd do it again.
2: So I can legit just call Sean a Carney from now on or a gypsy, yeah. either either or interchangeably.
1: I don't know if you could actually just say Carney, but maybe Carney ish mm-hmm. Carnish? Gypsy-ish. <laughs> Gypsyisms. oh yeah it uh it was an interesting upbringing there's so many stories that i want to tell right now
0: tell your friends you get your information on the sail ring podcast show
1: here's one for the listeners though Mm -hmm. and this one's away from harvest but um shane will tell a story about um Watching back in the, what would this been, 70s, late 70s, they had the wide, wide world of sports on television.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. And uh, there was parachuting on there. Oh, Lord. Yeah, where they're trying to hit a bullseye on a Sky ground. Skydiving. Skydiving, yeah. parachuting, hitting the bullseye on the ground. And okay. Yeah. We thought we could do that.
2: Yeah. Oh. <laughs> you guys were every parent's dream, Evening. it sounds like. <laughs>
1: Every TV mother's with dream.
3: Television was such an educational tool for us. We had to be careful what we watched because if the wild wrestling federation thing would come on mm-hmm. between the commercials, stone would get up and try all of those wrestling moves on me and he almost killed me before I was ten years old.
1: I was pretty good. <laughs> <He> was. <laughs> he was.
2: He I mean, is off, this is this the time the when they were ropes. like throwing chairs and things at each other's and, and-
3: Okay. No, he would come off the back of the couch and do a full-body <laughs> suplex and then a pile driver. And uh, we happened to be watching uh, World of Sports today. We learned how to skydive, though. <laughs> so when the commercial came on, he said, we could do that. I said, really? And he said, oh, easy, easy. <laughs> he goes into our mother's bedroom, and he takes all the bed sheets off of her bed. He ties them up in a bundle. We climb up a tree beside the house and we get on the roof. He straps this bed sheet all over my <laughs> back and he pushes me off the roof. True story. First time I'd ever had the wind knocked out of me. I thought I was going to die.
1: Just for the listeners he out caught... there, we, we grew up in a ranch home. It wasn't a two-story. so You're lucky you no,
2: didn't break something, though. Down. That's all that happened was the wind was knocked out of you?
1: So I'm, I'm
3: laying on the ground looking for my breath. And he climbs down the tree, and when I finally get my breath. Obviously, I'm crying. Think I'm going to die. And he says, "I've figured out what the problem is. I think I got it fixed. We weren't up high enough for the chute
1: to open. <laughs> needed more time for that chute to pick. open.
2: So let's climb the he rest of the, the tree and try again.
1: Our house did have a peak on it. We weren't up on the peak. Oh. We needed to we needed to scale up quicker. But unfortunately, we. Um, Agreed to disagree on that point, so we separated on that idea.
2: So it was the end of your skydiving days.
1: I'm not so sure we couldn't. I tried it. I'm not I'm so sure we one. couldn't finish that though. We couldn't go ahead and reload. You look pretty healthy these days. I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I I probably would have been taller had that not happened. <laughs> Guaranteed. <laughs> you,
2: knocked, you knocked the height off of him, Sean.
1: Oh my gosh. Carmen, Oklahoma, that's the uh, that was the site of many incident whenever uh, through the 70s and 80s. And that list would go on and on. Wheat harvest was a good experience, though. I think Shane would agree that it's uh, those, you know, they still do that. They're they're still custom harvesters. They're still, uh, I believe, a U.S. Custom Harvesters Association. And they still do that. In this country, but not as it's not as prevalent as it was in the early days. And a lot of that had to do with the expense of the equipment and the availability of the services as custom harvest crews were coming through. It's, you know, it's almost like migrant workers coming through. Mm-hmm. They're going to pick all this fruit. They're going to take care of these crops while they're here. And then they're going to move on north or east or west as they grow and they they develop. So. Today, a lot of the farming, the large farming operations have their own harvest equipment Mm -hmm. that uh, they'll even put crews on the road to keep them busy. So they'll be, let's say they're out of um, Nebraska and they have, you know, five, six, 10,000 acres to cut in Nebraska of their own property. They may go down south so they can offset the cost of owning that equipment and put a harvest crew into motion down there cutting for other people. Mm -hmm. They'll time that midsummer where they're in Nebraska cutting their own crops, and they may even go on north, but um, not as many I, traveling crews doing that as there used to be.
3: I think the economics of of you know the price of the equipment that if you're going to invest four or five hundred thousand dollars in a single piece of equipment, you've got to keep that thing moving more than than the ten days or two weeks you need it in your home area. And, um, I think the simple fact that you can't make that investment on something that's not put to use more months out of the year. I think they're forced to make that combine run further. I don't know how, you know, when we started out, I think we paid somewhere around fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars 16000 for our first combine. And the first season we run, I think you and I collectively showed a net income somewhere around $27,000. That's a pretty good percentage. Yeah. I don't know that a guy can do that today with the piece of equipment like that. Even if he makes the harvest run, I don't think he's going to see the percentage return that, that was available to us. Most of our commodity prices are the same on what we're selling, but they've gone up exponentially on everything we're buying. Our, our fertilizer and our fuel and our equipment's all gotten very expensive. expensive. Inflation, and yeah. our commodities that we're selling don't seem to you know, make that same percentage change in value.
1: Trina, I take it you never made the harvest run. You never went on custom harvest or anything to do with that.
2: No, you're correct. You take did, it correctly.
3: Did you grow up in a town where harvesters like us wandered through and then left?
2: No, <laughs> that didn't happen. There was no farming in <laughs> where I grew up. A big
1: town, big city girl.
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm like a, a suburban child, basically.
1: How many people were in your class when you went to Over
2: school? Over five. I, I want to say around 1500 in my graduating class alone like my kids school now like they're also we still live in the suburbs but we're on the outskirts of the suburbs but their graduating class is around 400 and that's in a small what's considered a small school compared to what i went to so if that puts it into perspective
1: we have a niece that grew up here that's uh, she's about my age actually um and she went to school over kind of in that same part mm-hmm. of Kansas City. Um, what is the name of the large school that's over around uh, Buckner and those? Yeah, areas it's Fort right?
2: Osage. Fort, Fort Osage, Osage District. District. That's, that's it. Yeah. That's where my kids go.
1: So she had told us the same kind of stories that yeah. there's, you know, four or five, 600 kids in mm-hmm. a class going there. Yeah.
2: In, in a graduating class. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's a lot. That's, I had 16. I know. That's,
2: <laughs> I hear your stories and I'm like, oh, wow. 16. <laughs> There were a lot, not a lot of choices going on around there.
1: Yeah. Shane had a, he had a booming class. So how big was your graduating class? Fifteen.
2: Fifteen. So one less than you.
1: I, Fifteen. I actually thought you had more 16. than I had.
3: You know what caused that? There was the one guy in your class that was also in my class.
1: Uh, <laughs> he that's, got held back. That's exactly <laughs> where it's at. That is correct. Did, oh, that's uh, what it was.
3: Yeah. When you look at our yearbook, he's a senior every year.
1: I think that's the only reason that he kept failing is just so he could be in the yearbook each year.
2: (laughs) That's the only time he got his picture (laughs) taken, probably.
1: He's a professional photographer now. Oh, poor kid. Yeah, that's good stuff. I'll tell you what, we're going to slip away. We'll hear from our sponsors one more time. We'll be back with more from Shane Terrell. Stay tuned. Ever dream
5: of owning a country estate, historic home, or lakefront property? Log on to UnitedCountry.com. Would you like to retire to a home built on breathtaking acreage in the mountains? UnitedCountry.com. Ever dream of your own private hunting preserve? unitedcountry.com over 30,000 farm recreational and lifestyle properties are just a click away helping people find their american dream for over 90 years we will help you find yours log on now to unitedcountry.com and find your freedom
4: Buying and selling minerals is a breeze when you have the right energy professionals on your team. MineralMarketing.com is a leading resource for America's mineral owners. Whether you're wanting to lease or sell your mineral rights, Mineral Marketing has you covered. MineralMarketing.com, the oil and gas marketplace.
1: So we are talking on break about COVID-19 and the effects. We've talked about this in previous podcasts, but Shane had brought up something kind of interesting is there is a lot of aggressiveness in the market right now. And and Shane, talk a little bit more about just, um, you know, what we were discussing just a few minutes ago on break and what you're seeing in your own brokerage as well as others around you.
3: Well, when in March, we talked about when the COVID first hit the media and they started talking about it, we were wondering how that was going to affect the market. And our assumption was that, You know the the media exaggerates things to the extent that we think the world's coming to an end, the the market's going to shut down. We were prepared for a lax in business to where we didn't have the activity that we were used to. and, And frankly, quite the opposite happened. I think on the front end, it was tough to explain. But looking back, it makes sense because we track all of our web analytics and all of our traffic on our websites and our custom social media campaigns and those numbers are noticeably increased after people had to stay home and they couldn't go out to activities and concerts and movies. And understandably, a large percentage of the population is shopping online for whatever it is they're buying. Uh, we realized our clients were doing the same thing. So we've seen a, um, an incredible increase in activity, on um, listing inventory, inquiries online, people looking at properties, properties actually going under contract and selling. And it's not just in my office. I know some of the other brokers that I deal with. Um, Randy Landwehr, for instance, recently had a, a, a just a record auction in uh, the state of Missouri that I think you helped him with, sold a large ranch over there. Uh, that was an incredible win, correct?
1: You know, that's indicative of exactly what you're talking about. That auction in particular, I called that for Randy. And he had set up a nice campaign. He spent a significant amount of money on marketing. They had over 200 people in that room. Oh, wow. There was seven, I believe, seven states that were represented by the bidding audience there. So, again, it goes back to the aggressiveness. You know the other thing that I've seen, and I think it parallels what we're talking about right now, people that are not going out in groups or socializing early on in Q2, uh, Q3 of this year probably going to roll right into Q4. Yeah, They started trying to figure out ways where they can get out away from everybody else and still recreate with their families. The boat market, the ATV, the we camper trailer. We talked about this trailer, on the
2: last show. I looked for a did. kayak for three months before I could find just a kayak, a plastic boat.
1: $300 yeah.
2: plastic boat, couldn't find for months.
1: For three months, yeah. you searched for mm-hmm. it. Uh, UTVs or... You know, yeah, utility all or stuff. all-terrain yeah. vehicles, four-wheelers, Polaris Rangers or KMS. Mm-hmm. Those things were on back order, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, Shane, that goes right into what we're talking about: recreational land, hunting land, mm-hmm. ranch land. People are kind of being driven from urban America out into non-urban America and looking at ways they can enjoy that lifestyle while they're out there. Yeah,
2: how to get away we're from
1: seeing all the a lot of
3: that? I think. Um, A good friend of mine owns one of the largest Polaris and Can-Am dealerships in the Midwest, and he he can't get the inventory he wants. Everything he touches is sold, and we're seeing the same thing in the land market. Uh, Most of the land brokers I know are at full capacity. They're as busy as they've ever been, and and there's as much opportunity in our market right now as, as we've seen since the oil boom six or seven years ago. So it's an exciting time. We're enjoying it. There's there's new things happening that we gotta, you know, kind of restructure and, and get organized to take care of when they when they come up with things like COVID. But all in all, the market's great. We're really enjoying it.
2: Well, and you hit on something too early in when you started mentioning that that people are moving a lot more to online buying, essentially, just because they don't want to be around the people and uh, the crowds and whatnot in a public auction situation. Um, but also when it comes to like showings and, and you know, viewing a, a property and things like that. Are you seeing a lot more people buying online?
3: Well, most most of our interaction initiates online, mm-hmm. but we're seeing an increase in that traffic because I think there's there's less things for them to do. You know, I uh, I don't think over the last six months uh, you could go to a, a music concert or large venue, uh, sports games. All of those activities are are closed. Yeah. So, if, if, you know, if you want to take your family and you want to go do something and, and the things that you're used to doing aren't available to you, you find new activities. And a lot of that's being geared towards the outdoors. Like like Sean mentioned earlier, there's a lot of people that are hunting and fishing and riding four years and spending time in the country that previously that wouldn't have been one of the categories they were looking for on the weekend.
1: You know, something that I'm kind of excited about is if we can get the youth, the younger America out of the house and get them back out into a rural or recreational environment. And not that, you know, computers are the worst thing in the world for kids, but I do think when it dominates their time day in and day out and they don't get any physical activity, they're not getting to enjoy nature and kind of get outside and getting exposed to something different. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, you know, it'll be healthy. It's a healthy upbringing. Did you
2: see the story, Sean, about the water skiing baby in Salt Lake City? I did not. (laughs) There's a six month old uh, that can water ski. Uh, Essentially, he gets on a, a rig with his dad or whatever, but it caused a lot of controversy a couple of weeks ago because People were like, oh, baby, that age shouldn't be out in the water. You know, oh yeah. even though his dad's right there and nothing happened, but he was having the time of his life. And you can guarantee he's going to grow up kind of outdoorsy just because he from six months old up, he's been water skiing and out, you know, with his parents hiking and things like that. So I don't know where I was going with that, but it was a funny story.
1: It's a great story. It reminds (laughs) me of a story of a squirrel that water skis. Oh, yeah.
2: Yes. Do you remember the
1: video Mm -hmm. of the squirrel that water skis?
2: Yeah, nobody cared that the squirrel could have fallen off but this six-month-old yeah. baby. It was pretty funny.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: yeah, I remember the water skiing squirrel.
1: Haters gonna hate.
2: They are. Yeah.
1: I, <laughs> I think Abraham Lincoln said that. Or Thomas Jefferson, one of you know, one of our
2: Honest Abe. Sounds sounds one of our founding yeah.
1: fathers. Hater's <laughs> gonna hate.
2: What say you, Shane?
1: It's always interesting to talk to you. <laughs> yeah.
3: It amazes me how you connect the <laughs> land market. <laughs> to Your phone water cut out. At 19, Your phone cut out just in time. Water. I would, I would, just, I would. I would I don't know if I want to see the whole video, but I'd like to see the highlights of what's going on in your mind. While it's
1: on <laughs> I'm I don't guessing, know that you would. <laughs> I'm guessing you do not want to see that.
2: It goes off in a lot of weird directions. It's
1: pretty scrambled. <laughs> it's, uh-huh. It would look uh-huh. a lot like an Etch-A-Sketch in there after it's been shaken. Af-
2: yeah, af- just little pieces <laughs> of things all over the place. Yeah. I'm going
1: to draw some lines and I'm going to shake it real uh-huh. hard.
2: Yeah, that sounds about right.
1: Shane, the system could break down, man. I got to thinking the other day about, um, you know, this whole COVID virus and people having to resort to, um, you know, different. uh, It may become kind of a survivalist nation out here (laughs) and, you know, transportation gets shut down. I'm looking at notes here. And I have the word hobo written down. Uh And the reason that I have the word hobo written down is because I remember an incident with you jumping on a train and riding at one time.
3: Hmm. It was a transportation issue, if you remember. (laughs) Uh, Behind our house that we grew up in, there was a a swamp and a creek and a lot of trees and a lot of things to to hunt and shoot. And we spent a lot of time there. Hmm. And it was about a mile walk back to the house. And there was a train track there, and the tracks crossed. There was an east and west track and a north and south track. And for some reason, there was always a gate on the track going north. So the train would stop. A guy would get off and open the gate. They would drive through, and the train was, you know, say a mile long on the train. And they would stop again, and the guy would get out of the caboose, and he would shut the gate. I never understood the gate. It wasn't like we were trying to keep livestock in. It was a train train. But we've seen this for years. So when the train stopped and we knew we were a mile from the house, my buddy and I said, You know what? Let's jump in one of those empty box cars. When it gets a mile north of here and stops and the guy in the caboose gets out to shut the gate, we we'll just jump out and walk to the house. <laughs> Genius idea. Fast forward about thirty minutes later. We're 10 miles north of the house. We're moving about 30, 40 mile an hour. We're getting scared. We're going to end up somewhere. We don't want to be in Nebraska or I don't even know where that track goes. I think Chicago, actually. <laughs> we decided we was going to have to jump off of this train. And we jumped off and, it, of course, we rolled through all the rocks and it, it hurt and it almost mm-hmm. killed us. And mm-hmm. while we were walking back to the house, we couldn't figure out why the train never stopped to shut the gate. But before we got home, there was another train behind it. And then it kind of made sense. Uh, the second train stopped to shut the gate. So we quit jumping the train.
2: <laughs> the one and only time there was a the second train, <laughs> you happen to be on wow. the first one, not stopped.
3: Mm-hmm. Nice. You know, they haul all of the new automobiles in enclosed cars now. So when you see a train go by with enclosed cars, yeah. a lot of those have automobiles inside. You can't see. In the late 70s and early 80s, those were hauled exposed. You could actually see the cars on the train going by. And we grew up throwing rocks at those cars. And I think (laughs) Sean and I may be responsible for the reason those cars are in enclosed train cars now. (laughs) Probably.
1: (laughs) I'll tell you the hilarious part of that. And we're getting towards the end of the show, but I'll... Without mentioning this guy's name, it wasn't just Shane and Sean. There's a third guy that we grew up with (laughs) later in life. That guy becomes an incident investigator for the railroad. That is his job.
2: He's like, oh, I can specialize in this for a living. This is just go back to childhood and all. We asked him one time.
1: He's like, how in the world does a guy like you that did what he did to the railroad as a kid get a job as an investigator? And he's like, that's simple, man. I know how those guys think. He said, I can catch him every time. I know what
2: to look for. Yeah, that's funny.
1: We had a great upbringing. Shane, it's it's always a pleasure to visit with you. And I want to thank you for your time being on the show. We're just about at the time mark here where we need to slip away. If they want to check out you or your company, how do they find you online? You can find me
3: at huntingcountry.net.
2: Huntingcountry.net.
1: Huntingcountry.net. Or or mineralmarketing.com.
2: You keep things very simple. I like that.
1: He's a simple kind of guy. I am a simple kind of guy. Except All right. when there's railroads involved. We, we will absolutely do this again, man. This is yes. a blast. And uh, we haven't even started chipping the, the surface <laughs> of the stories that could come out of these shows. So we'll definitely have you back on. We appreciate you being on the show today. Ladies and gentlemen, hope you enjoyed this episode. And we look forward to seeing you next time inside the cell ring.
0: This episode has ended, but your journey to greatness continues. To access all resources and links mentioned in today's show, head over to www.thesailring.com now.
3: That's www.thesalering.com.